Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner. Today, we are answering questions from you. Not you, Charlie. No, no, no. The listeners, the audience, the community. This is where we actually pick up your questions and answer them. Now, if you want your questions answered, there's two ways to do it. First one is head over to Facebook and join the Facebook group, which is called Full Stack Business Owner Community. Ask your questions, we'll pick them up, answer them on the podcast. And the second way is just hitting reply to Charlie's newsletter emails. All you need to do is ask him the questions, we'll pick it up and we'll answer them here. Now, before we dive into these questions, let's cue your infamous disclaimer, Charlie. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Charlie. Now, we've been friends for a while and there's just been one question. It's burning in the back of my mind. That's the whole time I'm just sitting there. I was talking to Hazel. I'm like, what is this? What is this? I am very curious. How big is your emergency fund? But, 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 but more importantly, do you actually know how to use it? <laughs> I practiced what, that delivery. What, I was going to say, what, what a lead-in question. You might have to ask my wife. <laughs> I was going to say, oh my God, I don't know if we can talk about that. No, we want to keep it fun and bubbly on a very uh, topic that isn't that fun and bubbly at time. Like who, this is like, um, you know, who really wants to talk about this side of business, do they? Like this, it's much more fun to talk about the growthy stuff, isn't it? It is. Man, marketing sales, it's like money's always more fun when you're making it. Wholeheartedly agree. But this is a topic that's actually very close to my heart and I think it's a, a very important one. And I'm going to go there straight out of the gate. But when I was growing up, unfortunately, my father, who was a business owner, had a workplace accident and um, on the back of that didn't have appropriate emergency funds that say in place. And then when his accident occurred and he couldn't go back to work, um, he was in a very challenging circumstance and it put an immense amount of uh, financial stress on my home. Now, after experiencing something like that personally, um, my view on emergency funds is very, very different than someone that's never uh, had financially harder times. Now, I see this pretty apparently today that if a business owner's never experienced it, they do not set up appropriate um, buffers or they don't have appropriate emergency funds and they really don't even have a context to think about it because they've got no pain association. Yep. Where for me, I'm like, I uh, will say this is something where, and I think you've even mentioned this to me, is you've said you're overly conservative in a lot of ways. Very much so. Yeah, well, this is where it comes from. This is something where it's like, uh, for me, when I after having that experience is that I require, and it is a requirement, I'm using very specific language here, a certain amount of emergency fund to be prepared to weather any potential storms. Now, I'll, I'll go further than this though, because like, in the case of what happened to my father, that like that was very unusual, right? That's not time specific in any way. Like I realize all of us could walk out our door today and, you know, I hope not, but get hit by a bus. Yep. So there are those types of uh, things you need to be prepared for, but I'll, I'll go even further. If you look back in the last hundred years, just in the world economies as so, like they've always gone through cycles. Mm -hmm. There's always peaks and troughs and bulls and bears and like, the market moving and changing is a part of it. And I, I won't, don't quote me on these exact dates, but it's like if you look to like every seven to 10 years roughly, there's some sort of big economic change. 
So it was like GFC, we've just had one, and then it was like the dot-com boom, right? So there's a few of them that go back there. So as business owners, like I look at that and go, we know this happens. We, We know it isn't a if, it's a when. Yeah. So knowing that, let's just plan for it. Let's get it out of the way. Let's be prepared so when those times come, this isn't something where we get potentially wiped out, which has massive consequences, especially in Australia. So like bankruptcy in Australia is way more serious than the uh, US. Yep. Um, but then the other side of it is is like it also presents opportunities to thrive. Like it might actually be the best version of your business if you're set up to weather those types of storms. And I just would say, I'll go as far to say this as well, Every good business owner I know, every one of them has measures in place to weather storms. They really do. I'm yet to find one that I would consider really savvy and well-planned that didn't. Do you think that's because they've had to weather a storm before? Because it's like for younger business owners, right? The people that might have been doing business for five years, maybe 10 years, right? Just sort of pre-COVID kind of thing, which actually was really good for a sort of a lot of organizations where they haven't seen that pain. Their family might not have gone through something like you're, you've been through. Do you think this is more of a, oh, I've seen the pain of when that happens. So now I've just got the, the cuts on my back to understand, hey, I need some emergency funds. Or does this come from like another place of them just going, I'm now completely aware of these peaks and troughs and sometime is going to be a trough and I'm just, I'm acutely aware of that and I just need to put something away. I would say that in my experience from what I've seen is that dealing with challenge and hardship is a skill. Yep. You would see that people that have experience doing that weather them much easier where someone like who's never gone through a downturn or never seen uh, economic situations changed is they're noticeably more stressed. And I'll give an example to articulate it. If you're uh, driving your car to a place you've never been before, do you ever notice like how assertive you are? to like, oh, did I just miss the street? What's the speed limit? Oh, do I need to be in this lane? Uh, Versus like if you're going to a place you've been to hundreds of times, maybe a parent's house, like you just all driving home from business or work, you can almost forget the drive. You're on autopilot. Yep. I would say it's the same here. I would Mm -hmm. say business owners that aren't uh, adequately prepared to deal with challenge, hardship, economic change, they feel it. But that's part of the process of like, you know, everyone had to drive that road the first time. So it's part of building your full stack of skills, shameless plug, (laughs) of like being a good business owner. Like I don't know a business owner that – you can't be a business owner that's only successful in the good times. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty shitty recipe for success, right? You need to be able to thrive in both environments. You need to have skills to support being a good business owner in the boom and the bust, yep. in the ups and the downs, and not not necessarily just because of the market going boom and bust. Like I even had a very good friend of mine who bought quite a, quite a few properties. Uh, he leveraged himself up, and then his business actually had a bit of a downturn. And then, and it was just not market related. It was just they just didn't generate as many leads and sales. And they actually went and sold some of their investments at a fire sale, which is like, I'm talking like blocks of land at 50% off just to go and inject that cash back in their business. And that was not, there was no marketing forces there. It was just unexpected things that happened in the business, like people leaving, et cetera. And they're just like, wow, I wish I had some kind of emergency fund to support me through this, not just uh, waiting for like a a big sort of economic impact. But it's interesting. When you look at, an emergency fund. So, yep, economic impact can come through and you can have some sort of businessy thing. Is it 
the concept of an emergency fund just to get you over like a, a month of operation, just until I'm back on my feet. Like, hey, if I if I lose a couple of big clients, do I just need enough money to get me back on my feet? Or is this more of a, okay, no, you need to think about this completely differently as opposed to, I back myself, Charlie. I can sell things, I can market things. I know I can make money. I just need enough money to support me until I go and make it? Or is there another concept or another approach that you think that we should be thinking about this in? I view it in two ways. I think there's an emotional side to it. Like what do you need to sleep at night? And then I think there's a logical side to it is like what does the maths tell us versus like the skill sets and networks and all the things we have. And um, I've certainly looked at both of these pretty heavily here. And I would almost say there's like another layer, but I'll bring this up later where I want to talk about uh, something else that's attached to this is like uh, logically um, I spent some time and looked at like, okay, if there is a big recession, how long do they normally last? Like what's the average? And just for anyone out there is two years. Now that doesn't mean you're going to make no money in that two years. But the idea being that if uh, economic downturn comes is on average, that's the span of a recovery. So I would look at that and go, well, as a business owner, if I know that's the average, what needs to be in place so I can make it through a two year span? So that's the logical argument. The emotional one though is that if you look at it and go, well, if again, it's like I look at my bank account, it's like how much needs to be in that bank account for me to feel safe? Yeah. Well, that doesn't factor in uh, how long a recession is at all. That's a much more personalized approach. And I, I would uh, encourage like I did people to acknowledge both. Like I, uh, in this case here, I know you're uh, way more aggressive than I am with buffers and emergency funds. Yep. And you operate at a, a level that's fine. Like you're not losing sleep at night because of how much is in your bank account. And uh, if we swapped bank accounts, I probably wouldn't sleep. Yeah. So that's where I look at it and go like, you have to acknowledge these multiple layers. The other side of it is um, is partners. So like, for example, is like if you, let's say your partner is very risk adverse and conservative, maybe she needs to see more uh, money in a bank account to feel safe and as secure versus you. So you might have to have some extra in there so that your home environment is stable. Because the last thing you would want is let's say, you know, recession comes and you're coming into your home every night and then your partner's panicked about money and that's becoming infectious on you. So there's an extra layer towards that. Yeah, I find find that second point so powerful because uh, even one thing for you in business, I know that you swing for the fences because you've got such great sort of backup emergency funds, right? Because like, well, let's go and take the opportunities that are actually going to create the most or generate the most or open more doors, et cetera, um, which is sort of one of those things that only people who have got that backstop or that safety net will take the swing at because it's, it's like, well, I have a huge amount of abundance. Now everything else is just an opportunity on how can I increase my value on top of exactly what I'm doing. One of the, one of the interesting points that I, I look at, so a lot of people that I've had a conversation to around their emergency funds think about the direct household only. Right. They, so they look at, well, can I pay the mortgage? Can I pay the bills? Can I buy food? Can I do all these things? And how long can I do that for? So easiest calculation is how much do you spend every single month and then X months, right? So it might be, I don't know, they might think of it like in six months as an example. So they go, cool, spent 10 grand a month, six months, I need $60,000 as an emergency fund. But then when I ask them a little bit more, I'm like, well, what emergency funds do you have in the business if the business doesn't do well? But what about the emergency funds that you've got against your properties if you've got investment properties? Like this concept of not just one bucket of money to support your household, like that's that's not what I'm I'm leading towards. I'm going, how do I have the buckets across 
everything. Where is my emergency fund for my personal life? Where is my emergency fund for the properties? Where is the emergency fund for business? So that I know that any one of those could be going through a storm without impacting someone else, right? Like my business could be being impacted, which is then impacting my house life, but my properties could be going great. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'm like, as long as I got the emergency funds in those two, not the third, I'm, I'm fine. Like, is there, from your perspective, do you play it in those similar silos or is that just a me and I'm a weirdo? Or how do you sort of think about that? No, I combine them. I absolutely combine them. So again, we'll just use an example here. We, we've just been through this like pandemic era where a lot of businesses got shut down for like potentially six months if they're in Victoria, right? So the idea of that there can't be a long span where you might have zero income, I think we just have to – it's not a 0% chance. <laughs> it, it, it exists. It exists. It very much exists. And it's like to be able to ride that uh, through is the difference. Uh, and to your story about um, earlier, right, with your, um, I don't know if it's a friend or acquaintance, but someone you know that is um, had to fire sale something, right? That's the stuff you want to avoid because that can undo like years of hard work. Like that's the stuff that can really set you back or potentially even wipe you out. So that's like what we're working against in that reign. Now for myself, and this is again for me, I'm, I'm just saying what's worked for me, is that I look at it and go, well, my business, my personal, and in this case, my properties need to all be factored into this buffering. Yep. You can't silo it to what you're spending in your home because let's say you've got $100,000 uh, siloed in your your personal life. It's like, cool, I'm buffered for six months. Oh, shit, business has got no income. You're just going to take that money and have to use it in the income and then you've destroyed your personal buffers. Exactly. Yeah, so I definitely layer it up and that increased the size of the buffer I need immensely. It really did. Now, I know that you you reckon I'm aggressive when it comes to these things because – and I get it. let's be honest, I get a little bit of an ego. Aggressive? I, I wouldn't sleep at night. I'll put it there. Like I, this is one of the areas where I think we are very different and clearly like different life um, experiences. But you, um, to go further than that though, you're way more aggressive in um, buffers. But I would say I'm more aggressive in business yeah. because I look at that and go, well, the – uh, reverse of that is because I feel very secure in the amount of buffers, like I'm willing to be more risky and swing for the fence in business where if you, you kind of get this interesting like trade-off in psychology when you look at the two. I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just that awareness to it and intention plays a role here. Yeah. And it actually leads to some very good conversations, <laughs> especially when we know that level of detail of each other. Um, and so for, for myself, like I look at going how – and I'm, I'm happy to be transparent here. Like how do I have at least six months in personal life, six months in business and six months in the, all properties to weather any storm? Now that's- Sorry, sorry I need a second. <laughs> how, the, how, I mean, but this will just show my character. I wouldn't have, I, I would lose the rest of my remaining hair. Like I'm impressed you have such like- <laughs> it's, it's all fake. That's what it is. No, that, look how happy you, relaxed you look right now. I'm like- I feel, I feel great. <sighs> stressed out. And this, it was funny because I remember when we talked about this, he's like, you're like, man, I'd, I'd freak out. And it, I guess it must come from elsewhere. And so I, I started looking at this going, okay, well, why, why am I happy to be so aggressive? And now those things exclude the fact that I've got some good equity and other businesses that are doing quite nicely. But I'm like, where, where am I factoring this stuff in? And I look at how have I put emergency buffers in? into things before I've got it in. And so I'm going to explain this to see if it calms you down, <laughs> right? So if you think about properties, 
right? There are people who go and buy investment properties with like 5% deposits, 10% deposits, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I'm never going to make it through this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just sweat, just sit there and just sweat. <laughs> and so uh, for, for me, I'm just like, great. Well, I just need to make sure that I have at least 20% deposit on all of the properties that they're all cash flow positive. And to an extent of being cash flow positive, of being able to weather interest rates increases or no tenants in there, et cetera. Plus on top of that, the six month buffer, which means I've got the lever to say, well, maybe I don't tenant it for six months or maybe the interest rates go up for stupid amounts, which even then if the interest rates go up slightly, then my six month buffer will go for a longer period of time. Six month buffer is if I've got zero income, like the house has fallen down, I still got to pay for everything. Um, So I look at that and I go, well, there's buffers already in play prior to me getting in. Uh, business is similar. So I look at businesses that we operate and I go, well, how do I factor in profit margins in there? Where even if we lost client, couple of clients, et cetera, there's still profitability. <laughs> like it's not going to go from, uh, oh no, a major clients canceled. Now we've got zero profitability. We're going to start firing people. It's like, no, we've still got profitability. We've still got a strong team. All we just need to do is go and find someone else to replace that client. Right, and I go cool. Well, there's still buffers there. Yeah, you can de-risk other assets. You can de-risk things. So in that example there, that's a great one, right? If you've got one client that's eighty percent of your business, if they were to leave and it sent you heavily unprofitable, right? That is like a, a big risk. So like rather than just having like reserve cash, having a second client of that caliber might be the best de-risk you do here, or the best buffer you create. Yeah. And that's and then I just go and do the exact same thing for my personal life. Like we don't have like like cars completely paid in cash. Like anything that we kind of splurge on a little bit's rent. But like I can dial most of that stuff down to the extent that I know I can make that kind of money. Like I'm not too worried. You can about always it. cancel a lease for financial hardship if it really came down to it. Right? You have the option to rent a cheaper property in that circumstance if required. Yeah. And so I look at that and I go. Man, six month buffer. Noting that, like right now, I've got more than that. I'm just looking at the next opportunity to go running at. But I'm just like, yeah, like this is this is fine. I can continue playing this game. Um, but to your point, Charlie, did my family go through financial hardship when we were growing up? No, like sure, like normal parents, right? They're like, oh man, fucking credit card bill or these bills and stuff like that. But can I've never seen question sort of like, that. Yeah, go. If you got desperate, like really desperate, could you ring your parents and borrow money? <laughs> yeah, of course. Like this, the I. I have not been born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I'm very, very fortunate that like my whole family, like they've, they've done well. They're not like multi-multi-millionaires, but I know I could call them up and get out of most situations that I'd ever get into. See, I don't have that at all. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. That is, there's no parental. And again, I love my parents dearly. I'm not trying to shape them in, in any way in this conversation, but it's like if I said, hey, mom, I need hundred grand. Like she doesn't have a hundred grand to give me. Yeah. So it's like for myself, that's another factor. Like you, you may be able to do that, and I'm not saying you can, but like maybe that is again a consideration on why your risk tolerance is different than I. Yeah, and I, I also related to the point that I, and I think I've even me personally in my 30 plus years on this earth, like I've I've never had a financial problem. There's like anything, any business I wanted to start, any business I wanted to invest in, anything that I wanted to do. Okay, no worries. <laughs> like we'll just dive in there. Like, don't get me wrong. I've I've overcapitalized in some businesses where I didn't have as much money in my bank account that I wanted to and stuff like that. But I'm just like, eh. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I look at it going. There's a couple of parts of this emergency fund for me anyway. So cash in a bank account that is liquid is one across the silos of business, personal, property, etc. Depending on your situation. And then the other one is well. 
what risk mitigation tactics did I take before I actually did it? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go, great, let's go and pick up all the cash that I've got and just go and jam it into something and have like nothing left over. And it's like, no, I invest over and above the cash reserves I've got. I go and invest in, in things that I know that there's already a buffer in there, et cetera. But I'm, I am curious, like you, you're freaking out about my six months. I, I am, I still am. <laughs> so what about you? Like, is this, if you turn around and say, I got seven months, I'm going to slap you. Dude, you know what? It's like, I feel like, you know, when you uh, see someone who smokes cigarettes that, and they're like, they justify to you why they, it's okay for them to smoke cigarettes. I feel like that I was like you with like your six I months. I feel like I did well. No, I you actually like did, did really well. well. That was strong justifications. <laughs> and like, at least you've put some thought into it, right? It's the people that have put no thought into this yeah. or are running um, immense debts, have tax debts, credit cards. And it's like, this is the stuff where they get in proportionally hit. I will say when you're starting a business, right, there is the very real risk of like you have too much of a buffer and you underinvest in the business and you don't end up successful as well, right, which is why this is such an interesting topic. So I will reference if you're in the first few years of business, like building buffers and emergency funds for this level might be very difficult. But once you get to a point is like you absolutely want to pay more attention to it and increase them over time. All right, you ready? You want to to hear my my buffers? (laughs) Kind of not. I feel like we should go to the next topic, <laughs> but no go. All go. right. So um, I um, I will say that I've increased these uh, proportionally as business has gone on, but like I'm well over three years. Across everything. Across everything. I would say it's probably Impressive. even closer to four if I had to guess right now. Swing for the fences now. Well, that's what it opens up. So when I have that amount of buffer is like my risk tolerance to making moves in business has opened up substantially for that. It also means yep. that I will never take on a client or project I don't want to. Yep. So one of the reasons we've been able to do this podcast, like in the whole full stack thing without going, oh, it's got to make money today, is because we have adequate reserves to do so. Like it doesn't exactly. need to be something that produces cash from day one, which I think limits a lot of business owners. Um the next thing I'll mention here, you brought this point up just a touch before, is like I would say that one of the things in knowing that I don't have easy access to capital around me from let's say mum in this example, knowing that doesn't exist has definitely made me much more self-reliant. There are pros that yeah. come from that as well. Yeah. Now I, I will share a view on like why I've let my buffers increase a little bit more here because I'm sure there's people out there going, this is ridiculous, like you could do more with them. Like, I'm not, And I'm not sure this is the aspiration for everyone. So for myself, like I've reached a point in my life now where I've, I've got a, a good level of investments, I've got a good business, I've got strong buffers. So the idea of just adding on risk for the sake of adding on risk is just like, why? Yeah, what are you risking is not worth it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to go, do you know what, I'm going to lever up. You know, I'm going to yeah. take my whole portfolio to 95% LVR and like just buy, 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 buy. And I'm like, the risk reward on that is just silly. The other thing that I am astutely aware of is that um, we mentioned before about the idea of that uh, there's these recessions that come up every like seven to 10 years, might be longer, might be shorter, where there's this two-year period. Now, when I look to that two-year period, I'm I'm sitting here and going, well, it's interesting that surviving the two-year period of a potential like, you know, recession or downturn is one thing, but this is also where people like Warren Buffett make outsized returns because yep. there's people that are selling assets much more cheaply. So wouldn't it be interesting that if I was in a position at this stage where it's like if a downturn come, I'm not sitting here going, oh, I've just got to make it through, but I'm actually sitting here watching um, where is the opportunity. Like maybe I am the person that buys your friend's 
property for 50% off and that's where I'm going to be able to create a really good upside. And yep. can I share a little story on this one as well? Of course you can. Yeah, so um, when the pandemic hit, um, this was something where I actually got a bit of experience with this. So at the start of this, and I'm even telling this now, I'm like, I can't believe this is a real story. Um, I had adequate buffers back then. Like I had really strong buffers in my life when this whole pandemic thing kind of started. And I was actually hunting for property at that time. Now, I was very fortunate that um, we had a really good team around us and all the rest of it. And this is not financial advice by any means as well, right? This is just a story of what happened. But there was a house that came up for sale um, that was in a really good location that was a development project and it had it was like they wanted 900 and something thousand for it. We put in an offer for 800 and it got accepted at like 830 or 820, right? And it was like because they were panicked to get out. So it was already at a discount, yeah. right? So being able to like buy really well in that time and weather through what was coming because I knew this stuff would end, right? The, the world would work it out. I'm an eternal optimist. If you look at what the humanity has overcome in the last hundreds of years, it's like uh, we seem to always work it out and I would prefer to live in that frame than being a doomsdayer. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to open a media company, <laughs> a mainstream media company? I don't know. I'll so. leave it on the shelf for another day. But those opportunities is where like that property I bought particularly is one that has delivered an, a hugely outsized return because I bought it for such a good price in that environment. And like that is where I think significant opportunity is for me going on. So I'm going to be a little bit more patient, have those reserves, have those buffers. And I'm going to go as far as saying past having an emergency fund, having an opportunity fund. I think that's a great point because I am going to ask you a second question on that. But before I do, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. So like for me, I must have six months buffers in everything before I start going opportunity fund, which is sort of one of those points of me saying, hey, like that's that's what I need. And there is still more there because I know I've even talked to you about some opportunities that I'm looking at uh, before this. But having that as the base and then having that opportunity fund is is just incomparable. Now, I'm going to I'm going to frame this up in, in a bit of a story. So imagine that this killer opportunity pops up, right? And it could be whatever, it could be half a million, million, five million, ten million, doesn't really matter. How far would you drain into that couple of years? Like what what would be your absolute bare minimum of an emergency fund be? I would still think it's going to be two years for me. Still two years? Yeah, two two years is where I'm going to call it. But again, that comes with a – a level of like stage of business. If I was a startup yeah. and I'm trying to grow, it's like, that's just inconceivable. That's not a good decision. You would be limiting growth. You would be limiting hiring. Like you got to back Agreed. yourself at some point in the journey. That's it. Isn't that interesting? So yeah, I like that concept of that sliding scale. Like if you're starting out, just think about, um, it could be a one month buffer. It could be a one week buffer. It could everything's dependent upon yourself and your expenses and your investments and all these kind of things. But just understanding as you start growing, or the term that I use when I talk about you, Charlie, as you mature in your <laughs> investments journey, I don't um, ever be referred to as the mature one. Don't don't, don't ever. <laughs> well, I'm the I'm the happy one. Um, yeah. So as you grow, the risks that you're taking, the impact that it could have on other assets, other investments, et cetera, are just going to be greater. Because as you have a bigger business, the swings, the, the peaks and troughs will impact you more. As you've got more ass- assets, the peaks and troughs will impact you more. 
right? And so just looking at that through that maturity curve of going, great, it could go one month and then two months and then three months and then four months and then five months, et cetera, as it continues to extend because of the risk profile that you're trying to protect as well as opportunities you're trying to open. I think that I think that is just a powerful point. Yeah, well, if you're Uber or Amazon, it makes zero sense when you're trying to get mass market appeal to go, no, 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 we've got to have cash buffers. Like that's yep. like you're trying to get your company off the ground. But if yep. you're them today, I would say cash buffers, profitability, these type of things are way more important for a company at that stage. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Now, in a similar sort of topic to emergency funds and uh, the concept of opportunity funds, which I love, um, some people have been asking, and this that question actually came from the community, which was like, okay, well, we talk business and property and stuff, but the direct question was like, the concept of staying in your lane versus diversification, you know, primarily around business investments, etc. Right? Like there is this concept around, oh, you got to diversify, put eggs in all these baskets, baskets as opposed to all your eggs in one basket. Like, what is your thoughts around that? We'll, we'll put the framing of like business and investments as well. <laughs> I laugh because I'm just gonna like. Um, I wonder if this is you as well. This is a lesson learned through experience and pain, not from. Um, like just read it in a book and go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Did you ever like uh, when I finally got some success in business, right? So let's say like after a few years of like, you know, really grinding it out, I finally got something working and started making money. And do you know what the outcome of that was? Went invested in like another business. It made me dumb to think that I was good at all business. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's like one successful business, I'm instantly going to be great at another business. And I actually got involved in another company, right? So it's like I had cracked, we'll call it digital services, was um, was an agency. I'm going, this has gone really well. I know how to generate leads. Like, you know, wow, you know, this can apply anywhere. So because I'm good at this, that means I should go and get involved in, um, which I won't name the business, I'm just going to use an example that does it. I should start a cafe because I am like, I'm hitting a bit here. You know, you should see what I'm going to do the cafe industry, right? If I can do this, I can do it. And it was just ridiculous. And um, I became very, very quickly aware that as I went into this other business model, that's like, this doesn't translate. Mm -hmm. The things that I know, um, like, for example, digital services, like you are to scale, you practically only need staff and software. To scale a cafe in this example, uh, food ordering, Supply chains, logistics, maybe like compliance. <laughs> yeah. So, so this was a very, very, very different environment, and it made me realize that hang on, you've you've cracked a little fraction of the world, not the world. Yeah, and uh, I went through that pain. I, I still remember going to like business events when I was like studying at university, and and before I really sort of dove into business, uh, and everyone's like just kind of focusing on the one. Like don't get, what do they call it? The shiny object syndrome. Like just don't get sort of pulled in, like just focus in on the one. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, oh, it's only because these guys don't understand the value if they have multiples. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, so similar, like I, I opened an agency, did very well as an agency. And I'm like, I can totally do this anywhere else. So I opened e-com stores. I got involved in um, like a coaching, like an executive coaching business, uh, then stepped into my massive realm of SaaS and I'm like, ah, it's all business. What are you talking about? And so I jammed all of the profits that I'd made into all of these other businesses because I'm like, ah, I've got systems, I've got processes, I've got team that I can just scale this up for. And it's just like, yeah, no, it's completely different. <laughs> You're just like, 
and th- this was the point. It's like, okay, well, now I get it only because I went through that pain myself as opposed to being like, because I was that naive child that just did not just listen <laughs> to what other people are saying. So I've been there. I've done that. And it, it has actually made me a better entrepreneur now, which is great. But I'm like, it took me a little bit to figure that out. Well, this is where I think we should bring up an important point. If you said to me, okay, uh, sticking your lane versus diversification for making money, I think that you really want to uh, treat that very differently than the idea of going, well, sticking your lane versus diversification for skill. Mm. Right. So I would make the argument, like I actually learned a lot from this experience and it sounds like you did as well of like doing a different business, but it was a terrible financial decision. It's horrible. Yeah. So horrible. like there are things to look at. And even in our brand, once again, shameless plug is like in the representation of what full stack is. We're actually saying that you need to develop the full stack of skills to be a good business owner that builds wealth in your business and outside your business. The, the framing I've really been thinking about more and more, it's like if you're going to stick your lane, it's like how do you define how wide the lane is? Mm. right and it's like to the point is like if you're an agency owner and uh in this example let's just pretend someone's really good at facebook ads right for them to pick up and implement google ads right i'm going to say that's in the lane that's just widening the lane a little bit that might actually be a really great way for you to add immense profit and scalability to that uh business but if you're an agency owner and you go look i'm going to put a cafe downstairs right i would say that's a completely different business model Fundamental, yeah. completely different freeway to a completely different destination. Completely. So that's in the business sense though. I also would make the point and argument that this applies to investing. Like I have certainly seen people um, go about um, investing and it's like they might be really, really good. And I'm just going to make these up. And again, it's like for thought uh, and consideration is like they might have like implemented a property development strategy really well. Excellent yeah. property developer. But for them to go home at night and then start day trading shares, it's like I would I would think that's a bit of a stretch. And maybe someone's doing it and it's not a stretch for them and like good on them. But for the average person, I would say that's a ridiculous idea where it's like if you for that same person, if they're great at developing property and that's their wealth strategy, maybe it's developing different property or changing yeah. from residential to uh, commercial might be their edge. So that definition of like uh, lane width versus like uh, blatant stupidity when it comes to diversification, I think is a really important factor here. I I always think about like why. So a lot of the topics that we cover here, I'm always like, why do people do that? Why why don't people think about emergency funds? Why why do people think that if you're good at one business, you'd be good at all businesses? Why do people think that if you're just investing, it's a good thing? And I think the unfortunate thing is that there's just always this roll up to a catch all phrase. It's like, do you do you do business and do you invest? And like, yes, I business and yes, I invest. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually break down the concepts of going. Okay, well, no, there are completely different subcomponents under each one of those concepts. Which unfortunately is like when you do a business degree at university, they don't. Just, they don't tell you that, hey, by the way, if you're running an agency, it's very different to a guy running a, a, like a SaaS or a software company. Like the skills you need and the way you market and the way you sort of tell stories are very different. Um, but the same with investments. Like if I go and talk to family or friends, they're like, oh, you just need to invest your money. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? And so they don't dive deeper into the, okay, well, everything is fundamentally different. They all have a 
different way of being successful and the, the markets are different, the way they talk is different. And I always look at that going, yeah, that's where people need to understand breaking through that barrier. And for me, like unfortunately the way that I learned that lesson was <laughs> a little bit of failure and uh, well, school of hard knocks, if you will. Um, but I just go, yeah, that's that's been the biggest gap of me going, wow, I just can't live off these sort of macro terms of just business and, and investments. I have to understand. And it's not even, to me, it's not even shares and property. It is like, okay, what are the things that sit underneath it, right? Because there are still some property opportunities that I probably just would not get into because I just don't know enough about them. Completely. And I just go, and so I'm like, I know enough about this whole residential investments and stuff like that. I know of like commercial and I know of like developments and things and I know enough to be dangerous, but would I go and dive deep into those investments to the extent that I think that I can guarantee my success? Not yet. I just need to do some more conversations. I might even need to double my toe in, see what it looks like and just sort of mitigate it. But similar to business, do I, can I run SaaS companies? Yes, I can. Can I run agencies? Yes, I can. Why? Only because I did the school of hard knocks and I've seen them all. It's just, uh, would I do that if I was starting out again? No, I'd stick to one and I'd master that one and that's the lane that I'd stay in. And I'd just, to your point, I'd just make the freeway, have four lanes instead of two lanes and then five lanes and just go, great, how can I can kind of push the gutters out? I think, I mean, it's pretty apparent in the podcast where I've been successful is like digital services and then residential property. And I look at that and go, like, I would say it's diversified in ways. I mean, they're very, very different. I mean, one's invisible, can't mm. touch it. <laughs> and the other one's very physical, can touch it. But it's uh, as you add more layers of complexity, even if you're calling it diversification, I think you have to be very aware of that. And uh, we'll just use an example here. It's like the idea of like residential property even versus commercial property. Like there's so many nuances in the finance and leasing that goes into that that I would think that you would want to spend a fair amount of time getting educated in both. You wouldn't want to treat them as the same. Treating them as the same would be incredibly dangerous. Yep. And and the point that I want to make on this as well is just because it says stay in your lane does not mean that you can't cross over to a different highway to a different destination. Not at all. It just needs to be that logical decision to say, I am going to go from this freeway over to that freeway and you've got to do the work to go, okay, well, how am I going to get across there? How am I going to understand? And how am I going to go from one lane to two lanes to four lanes to five lanes so that I can understand? I'm, I'm just laughing as you say that. I'm like chuckling along here because it's like it's the where it gets dangerous, right? Is the, I'm on this freeway. I like being on this freeway, but I want to be on that freeway as well. I'm not willing to <laughs> no, move. No one looks- <laughs> I want to be in both. I want to go to Sydney and Perth at the same Se- time. What is it? A second business syndrome? It it completely is. And, I, and I, it, it's interesting because I just look at it from, from that approach of, okay, well, you just have to understand what it really takes to be successful in it. And you can change. And But the, the whole point is that there is nothing wrong with staying in a lane. There is nothing wrong with going, how can I make this lane wider? And there is nothing wrong with making a very deliberate, very logical jump to another lane or to another freeway in this example. Like you you can, and I'm for it. The final point I am going to say is if you think that your current lane is not going to be as good as some other lane, and so you go, oh, there's more opportunity over there. I'm going to be able to make more money over there. Just look for the guys that are crushing it in your lane and you'll get a real sense of realization of going, oh, I'm just – 
not thinking. (laughs) There are people in every industry, every type of business, every asset class. There are people doing shares, ETFs, property, residential, commercial, business, services, e-commerce, et cetera, making millions, millions. (laughs) And I'm just like, you are the limiting belief on that one. Like this whole concept of staying in my lane is not going to make me money. I don't believe it. Don't you find the idea of this? And it's a... um, Whenever I look to the people that have been astronomically successful, and I mean astronomically, like Elon Musk, the uh, Amazons and Bezos and Warren Buffetts, Bill Gates, did they diversify? How they got really successful is like they were very well diversified, Grant. They, they did, well, they did it. Even Warren Buffett, there's this interesting um, stat, is like at one point he had like 70% of his fund money in um, American Express, one company. Ended up being obviously a very successful um, investment, but it's like I just look at that and go, it's like interesting when you really look at how the Titans have been successful and like I would be com- comparing their level of diversification. It's a yeah. fascinating idea. But, it, but even to that point, I, I think that they're at this point now where their concept of diversification is is slightly slightly different, right? So if you look at Musk, yeah, he's across now, he's yeah, across now, SpaceX. That's the key. But I actually think that he, for his leverage, he's just widened his lanes because he's just a marketing power. So his lane is just marketing like these crazy tech companies. So if you look at it from a different lens, there's potentially he's just looking at his lane and going, cool, I'm just turning this from two lanes to four lanes. It's not that he needs to run these businesses and do all these things. It's just he needs needs to have a mechanism to tell the world about it and then they're going to have their life of their own. And that is his lane. I I disagree with that so much. When he did PayPal, for example. Oh, that's correct. If you go to the PayPal, that's very And then like even like you could make the argument that Bill Gates today and what he's doing with the Bill and Melinda Foundation and a ton of these other things. And the same with Warren Buffett, right? And and Bezos and all of them. They diversify more as they get deeper in the game. But when you look at how deep they were before they diversified what they were doing in business, it was deep. Like it wasn't that was like again, it wasn't like they're going, Do you know what I've made it here? I've got to stop and just be very diversified. Yeah, their step one was always master it. Once you've mastered one, you step into the yeah. next and then you master the next one. Uh, of course, it. not financial advice. What a good I'm episode. not recommending that anyone single lanes their <laughs> investments or business, like seek out professionals, get good advice. <laughs> just understand the lanes that you're in. And if you're trying to be in too many lanes, just remember, it's, yeah, until you've built in those reps to your point, Charlie, and just being able to support it, it's not going to end nicely. It just needs to have that level of awareness. I'm going to wrap this one up, Charlie. It's been an awesome, awesome episode. Everyone who is tuning in, be sure to check out for our next episode that's coming up. I'm thoroughly looking forward to that one. And as well, if you're sitting here with more questions in the back of your head going, damn, I just wish I could ask Grant and Charlie these type of questions, there's two ways to submit them. First one is hit reply to Charlie's email. So he sends them out a couple of times a week and just ask you questions. We'll bring them up here. We'll answer them for you. Second one is head over to Facebook. Join the Facebook group, which is full snack of business owner community. Ask your questions there, interact with the community and uh, we'll pick them up and talk to about them in this episode. And now if you do have people in your network, friends, family, etc., be sure to send this episode out to them if you think it would be valuable as it will greatly assist us. And I just want to say thank you again for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.